Hello, Christine LaRusso. What? Add to that also something about the, um, I was going to say the porn fiction, the fan fiction. (laughs) I don't know what the fuck is the Oh, okay. When is that? When would that be inserted? Right after this? That's what she said. Greetings, savory inferiors, and welcome to the Vampire Insider, the unofficial podcast of the Anne Rice Immortal Universe. Each week, co-hosts Christina LaRusso, Joanne Palumbo, and myself, Mark Snedeker, recap and analyze episodes, delve into Anne Rice's library, and have in-depth discussions about other works about the supernatural. Today, we're tackling the most problematic of all the episodes, episode five, A Vile Hunger for your hammering heart. This week, we're going to continue sharing fanfic from the Immortal Universe community. Today, we're going to have a reading and a discussion of the work Renaissance by Sia Hatha. Greetings, Christina LaRusso. Hello, Joanne Palumbo. Hello, hello. Hello. Hi, everyone. How's it going? Good, good, good. Just amazing. (laughs) Yay. Mark was actually a victim of Claudia, potentially. Yeah, she stole a bit of my finger. She stole some of his finger. Mark had an accident. Or was he a victim of just being a dumb dumb? Well, that is more likely, I he think. He is not well suited to manual labor or yard work. Nope. <laughs> so, yeah. So get rid of all those fantasies, ladies. <laughs> I'm more likely to hire a guy to come cut your grass than to go do it myself. So we're never going to see you in any type of manual labor, plumber, adult movie kind of situation. Oh, no, I'll do it for sex. Because oh, okay, okay. then okay. you don't really have to do plumbing. You just have to put your head underneath the sink and let nature take its course. <laughs> that I can do. I do have a question for both of you. I know for a rock-solid fact that there are shitty fanfic authors in the world. (laughs) How have we managed to avoid them? So is it just the community? Is it that I I attract greatness? (laughs) Is that what's going on? I mean, I've got to imagine, knowing what I know about this community uh, online, so much talent. The artists. If there was a way for us to do, we're trying to figure this out, everyone. How to do, how the, to art? do the art. Because obviously that's a visual medium and we right. are. And we could post their pictures, but that doesn't, does that do them justice? No, I don't know. right. It, and uh, so we were thinking about maybe doing some video podcasts. Vampire Insider Art Show. I am Be your docent, to- Mark. <laughs> Mark. <laughs> oh boy. We're in, we're in trouble, you guys. No um, flash photography, please. Um, no, I think it's the, I think it's community. I think that the yeah. community are, are extremely creative people. Yeah. Uh, we Starting with the cosplay. Yes. A lot of cost. Yes. Yeah, Dorian. Yep. Dorian, one of our early adopters. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, just like the cosplay. And then we, there are a lot of creatives. We, I, I think that there are a lot of theater people that are, are, you know, at least people yeah. who have insight into theater, if not also acting. Right. Well, we themselves. had, we had Micah. Micah on, was obviously. on talking about witches. But you know what, Christina, in addition to like their, their talent and, you know, whether it be art or writing or cosplaying, what I find most remarkable about all of these people is their courage to put that out there and be critiqued by 
everybody online to have the courage to give it to us where we've got lots and lots of listeners that are not maybe necessarily on Twitter and even aware of fan fiction and allowing us to bring that to all of our listeners to go and check out their work. That takes like a tremendous amount of courage. Now, today's fanfic excerpt is by the author Sia Hatha, uh, Annabelle, who wrote this really, really interesting piece called Renaissance. There's lots of French in it, which I know Christina loved. <laughs> She's hoping she gets to do many French phrases in her reading today. Let me give you an idea of what it's about by using Annabelle's own words. Here's her summary. Emboldened by the television program The Sopranos, Lestat spends 30 years in therapy becoming a vampire worthy of Louis' love. Louis spends his second marriage refusing to address his eating disorder so as to better mourn his alive husband and dead daughter. One century later, they give New Orleans another try. So, Christina, would you like to read our excerpt and you better nail the French? I actually chose a section that is not. It's French free. It's French free. Uh, uh, Sophie. <laughs> I can read it, but I can't speak it. And it's tough it, for people who actually can speak it to hear. To hear an amateur. Horrifying <laughs> accent. You know, that would. Well, I mean, I don't know. Stefo still likes us and I do a I horrible mean, Australian she? accent. <laughs> All right. So this comes from a later chapter. I think that most of us just read the first chapter. This oh, is a call me out five like chapter so far. It's an yeah. ongoing piece. And I got hooked. And so then I kept reading. So this comes a little bit later on. We'll contextualize all of this after I'm done reading it. As That's we the have, best time to do it. As we have our conversation. I know that my overcorrection and paranoia drove y'all into danger. Louis looks for a moment like he's going to mock the way Lestat says y'all before deciding against it. Lestat continues, I know that my anger issues had racist consequences for you and Claudia. I know that I terrorized our home on Rue Royale, and I am so sincerely sorry. I wish very much that I could have those years back knowing what I do now. Lestat presses a kiss to Louis's hard shoulder. Louis does not react to the touch, does not show any signs of loving Lestat, doesn't admit any culpability of his own, and Lestat is still so tired and raw from the Armand fight that when the anger ignites in his gut to accompany the sadness, Lestat makes no attempts to extinguish it. She was a dead girl from the start, and we tortured her, Lestat continues, voice gaining speed and volume with all the hurt. By turning her, we clipped her wings, just like those birds that you threw in her coffin, while in complete denial about what she was and what she wanted. It wasn't just me, Louis. Louis spins around in the water to stare silent daggers on Lestat, but he won't say anything, won't bite Lestat back. And, actually, there's a whole lot Louis needs to take responsibility for alongside Lestat. Lestat continues, ignoring the voice in the back of his mind telling him to dunk his head underwater. Lestat speaks quietly but nastily, confident he can win if only he resists the temptation to yell. Hate me if you wish, but you joined me in damning her. We are not so different, you and I. You just wanted a twin who suffers as you do. You wanted absolution for your sins in the form of a bloodthirsty little girl. And you had no interest in the woman she became, the carnivorous blood of my blood, whom you made to distract yourself from your own bloodlust. 
Lestat pants there in the water, glaring at his husband, just wishing he could make him see that while, yes, Lestat is a monster, monstrousness is in their nature. Louis, too. And wasn't it a stunning thing that they survived all this to resist monstrosity another day? Louis clearly doesn't see it this way because he bellows, You told her you'd grind her bones to dust! The loud of it echoing around the pool. And what sort of father says that sort of thing to his wayward child? He didn't mean it, especially if the child is running as Claudia was toward the very death that they are still grieving. But while Claudia was his child, she was no child at the time, and Lestat should have let her go. He knows that now. I didn't mean that, and I never should have said it, Lestat admits, feeling his expression soften. Louis gets out of the pool, sits on the floor, and exhales the fight right out of himself. So we agree. We'll never forgive ourselves, Louis says, eyes on Lestat, a promise. And it was true. He was forever marked. Lestat will always look hungry because of Magnus. He'll always have a scar on his mouth from the claws of a wolf. One time, he dropped Louis out of the sky, and he'll never forgive himself for Claudia. That said, Louis honestly can't expect him to spend the next thousand years on his knees repenting to a ghost that currently haunts him. He'll never forgive himself, but he must go on. He will not wear black forever and starve. That is not a life, and they both fucking know it this time around. And Lestat feels the frustration swell inside him, conducting the ache of sadness and shame, horrible shame, and into a single beam of malevolence. All right, so I do want to say this. That scene, as powerful as that was, sort of this struggle that Lestat is having yeah. with wanting to express these things with Louis, but also trying to express them in a sympathetic way and dealing as he is in this story with the fact that his partner has a, a an eating disorder mm -hmm. um, and he's trying to be gentle with him about that and understanding and helpful. Uh, Lestat is wearing a black string bikini. <laughs> well, so <clears throat> look, I mean, <laughs> you got to dress the part. It's okay. So, Good. Staging is very important for any relationship conversation. Um, so this author did such a great job of being, there's some humor in it yes. and there's irreverence and there is letting the sense of, of really letting these vampires explore who they are. Their through, psychology. Through, sure. Through time. Well, their psychology, their identities. Yep. There's a lot of talk in later in the later chapters about how do you identify? Do you identify right. as a man now? And you know they're they're questioning that. And Lestat is kind of like you know maybe for this lifetime still yes, but in the future maybe no. I like I like variety. <laughs> I mean he's he does and he likes he's allowing himself. So that is one of the things that I really found compelling about this story, which is. The author allows for these vampires to truly move into the 21st century, yeah. to to embrace the time that they're in, to embrace their sexuality, and to explore other potential options for their gender, to explode gender dynamics. But then also, there's some scenes where they... Play, they role play in, in a way. I'm not surprised. It's just, it's a really fascinating yeah. piece of work. Mark, what's your hot take on the chapter that you read? So really what I felt like was Annabelle took the initial 
real genius of Rice, which was to humanize vampires Mm -hmm. and really move that even further down that that scale, Mm -hmm. right? And she's obviously very well-versed in the language of therapy Mm -hmm. and Mm self-exploration, et cetera. And we now know that the magic period of time for therapy to work is 30 years. So, you know, well, if you have a, a spare 30, you know, get started, kids. For, no time like the present. Well, you know what? I mean, it's not it's not wrong. Therapy can and should and does and it, it take it can take all your life. And I thought it was very interesting the way Lestat has really bought into this idea because if I had if I was a betting man, I would say Lestat would go to therapy for 30 years, learn all the right things to say. Mm-hmm. But just Sam. But his know. internal monologue says... I, I, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. He's, he's he's all in, which is very fascinating and very, really interesting to see how that now reflects in their relationship. While, you know, Louis is struggling with a very sort of modern problem. I'm mean, Not that it wasn't a problem in the past, but it was never really recognized. So now he has this very modern and difficult problem of an eating disorder. I read chapter one, which is titled plastic off the sofa. And here are a few things that I really appreciated about this story and about the author. Um, First of all, I appreciate that she did give a trigger warning at the beginning of this because it does involve talk of an eating disorder. And because eating disorders are such a life-threatening, you know, condition that somebody could have, and it's a very serious topic, I like how she incorporated a bit of a sense of humor into it. And it wasn't gratuitous. It was done perfectly. You know, it starts out a little bit where she says that Louie came back from um, his hot girl summer in Cape Town. I just thought that was pretty clever and it kind of made me chuckle. And anytime, you know, for me personally, anytime that you're discussing something that is a bit of um, an uncomfortable topic, Infusing a little bit of humor into it kind of, you know, when you can, takes the edge off of it. And I really think she did a great job with that. Um, I know, Christina, you and I were talking about previous to, to the recording, the part in chapter one where she's got Lestat running and he's wearing little booty shorts as they slut across the ass. I thought that was... With this, with this hair and a French braid. Yeah, with French I, braids. Yeah, yes, French braids. Yeah, I just thought that was so funny. I ordered I ordered those on Amazon, so I'll have some soon. Oh, oh, oh terrific. <laughs> Pixar, it didn't happen, Mark. Oh, my God. Overall, though, I really love the way that she took him not wanting to eat human blood and played off of that with the eating disorder. I thought that was really clever. The story itself is well-written and I really enjoyed chapter one. I only read chapter one, but I did really enjoy it. So I'm looking forward to uh, catching up on the remainder of it. So great job, Annabelle. You hit on a point that I want to highlight that I think is, was so well done, which is, Calling Louis's refusal to eat human blood disordered eating. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. very interesting. Right? I thought that was a great take. What what I've been enjoying about these authors so much is that they are taking things that are happening in the plot in the show and they're giving explanations for what's going on, and they're really fucking satisfying explanations. Yeah. Moreover, she takes this concept of him 
doing a cleanse or doing some right. fa- fasting, and then she puts it back onto the religion. Yeah. And she says, when Louis was a human, when he was still alive, he would fast to sort of cleanse him of his sins, right. which is a very, which is a Catholic thing. Pretty Catholic thing to do. We and, love deprivation. All right. So here I'm going to give, I'm going to give a, a suggestion if anybody is interested in, because I think Mark, you said some, something just re- just before about how eating disorder, disordered eating is a, you know, kind of a new thing. Framing it as that, framing it as disordered eating is a new thing, but Fasting oh, and yeah. all of that, that goes way back. And actually, female saints were well known for, you know, essentially starving themselves. Sure. And there's a book called Holy Feast and Holy Fast by Caroline Bynum. And it is a study of disordered eating in early sort of medieval Catholic saints. Yeah. Uh, and uh, religious women. And it's fascinating. And yeah. so when mm-hmm. Annabelle said, started talking in her in the story about the link between the Catholicism and fasting, and in my mind immediately went to that. I was just like, "This is very, very smart." That's really interesting. Yeah, I loved, I loved that because as somebody who's you know a historian, I love any time that there's that kind of a link. Leave it to the Catholic Church to take a neuroses or a disorder or a mental disorder and turn it into some kind of sanctified virtue. Well, right. They glorify it. Yeah. They're like, you like hitting yourself with a belt. That's religion. <laughs> Hit yourself with a belt for Jesus. <laughs> Put that hair shirt on. Yeah, exactly Shut the fuck right. up. <laughs> How about a little salt in your wound, <laughs> sir? No, um, but to bring that in, uh, that's very Ricean to me. Yeah. Right. Of course. And uh, I just felt a lot of resonance but a completely updated take yeah. on things. The language that is used to talk about why uh, he may be doing this, Louis may be doing mm-hmm. this, and and the you, you really get this sense of his sadness and his heaviness. Again, both of the authors so far that we've been talking about seem to really get that Louis. She gave me something that I never thought in a million years I would get, and, and would have never like used my own imagination to get to this moment. And that's imagining Lestat watching the Sopranos. Yes. I was, I was like, that is Joni's people. Like, could you just picture him eating like, like a soprasat talking about going to Bada Bing? I'm just like, give me some gabagool. Exactly. And, uh, it just, a little brojute. Remember the scene where, where the cops come out to the incinerator. I mean, Lestat should have said, well, I mean, sanitation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Trash removal. I didn't know I needed Lestat to watch The Sopranos until I read that line. Well, because if you think about it, like mafia gangsters are, you know, pretty tame compared to Lestat. So. Well, yeah. Yeah. They're like yeah. Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts yeah. compared to, uh, to, to vampires. So for me, and and this really is, so the notes that Mark read at the beginning really kind of gives a good synopsis of what's going on here. Lestat's been through years and years of therapy. He's trying to win Louis back. He yeah. seems to have won Louis back. Let's say this. Louis is back living with Lestat. Right. Now, I wanted to ask you guys this because I found myself being very annoyed with Louis 
Yeah. Because I was like, come on, man, meet so him he's, halfway. Yeah, he's not, he's not, well, look, Louis didn't go through 30 years of therapy, apparently. No, no. And he really probably should as well. Right. Right. So maybe they would be closer in terms of vibe if mm. he had. She kept him true to form. He's whiny, bitchy, little Louie. Yeah, well, he's depressed and. Racked with guilt. I mean, he is really struggling over the Claudia Self-absorbed and, mm-hmm. you know, self-pitying. And I was reading some of the comments, and I, I believe that someone said something that really resonated with me, which was, this is making me frustrated or angry, feeling towards Louie. I'm, like, Lestat's really trying hard. And Mark, you made the point. Lestat's in it. He oh, he is, is. in he's, it. He is. He is doing his best. The, now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't slip up sometimes. Right, he's a fucking vampire. Uh, it's very true to real life, the, the the situation that she's got them in here. Lestat in therapy, really trying to work it hard. Now he's confronted by this person who himself has some some disordered thinking around food and nourishment and Lestat is crazy to try and help him, but he, he wants to do it in the right, supportive way. And then sometimes Lestat loses his temper. Which people do. Which people right? do, you know. And But these, you know, you've got Lestat really taking responsibility for that. The other thing, and, and that this is the reason that I wanted to read the section that I read. Annabelle addresses the racist issue. And I have, you, you all know that, about the the episodes I've been hopping up and down mm-hmm. for a whole season saying you do a lot of hopping Lestat is not as sensitive to Louis's race and the challenges around Louis and right. Claudia's race low-key racist as yeah it, yeah it, it, and he doesn't realize that about himself well in this story yeah he does he realizes that he was that and he's trying to take steps and I I love that that conversation happens in this Peace. Okay, no, so neither one of you have actually mentioned the best thing about this whole story. I did. The, no, the, well, that Joanne was, that did is the, not the, the best slut thing. shorts. No, yeah, well, that's close to the best thing. <laughs> okay, what but is it? Because Tough Cookie gave him the, the slut shorts. That's tough exactly cookie, right. Yes. That's because Tough Cookie <laughs> gave him those shorts as a joke. I forgot to mention that when I said it. I was like, oh, shit. Just for those who don't know, I love Tough Cookie. <laughs> I listened to. Can you please explain why you? Yeah, say I listened that. to the Vampire Lestat on audiobook, and the guy who read it was excellent. By the way, he would he had this very particular way of saying certain names. You know, when you hear me say rock music video star, that's from this guy's mm-hmm. kind of particular cadence, and he always called her Tough Cookie. <laughs> <laughs> With that, we're like really interesting accent on this wrong syllables. And so Tough Cookie is my favorite character in all of the immortal universe. So when I when I was reading, I was like the black shorts bought by Tough Cookie. I'm like Tough Cookie. <laughs> Tough Cookie she's shows back. up a lot. I in love this. Tough Cookie. I know, Tough but she's so great. Yep. Yeah. She's the greatest Tough Cookie and Lestat have a little They have uh, a bond, uh, right? They have well they have a little uh, kind of pissing match over Ooh. a of a over a I woman. Wouldn't, I wouldn't fight with Tough Cookie. <laughs> like that, we all got something out of this. Like Christina got, you know, that the, the uh, Lestat to admit that he's racist. I got Lestat Corleone, and you got yeah. Tough Cookie. <laughs> I got Tough Cookie. <laughs> That's right. I thought this was a great 
uh, piece, and I, I, I'm really excited now for what's next week. I don't Absolutely. know what's coming next week, but I'm, have to I'm sift very... through. We've had some really good submissions. So thank you, Annabelle, for letting us talk about your fine piece, Renaissance, and we're going to put a link in our show notes for those of you who would like to go and read it, and also we'll have it on Twitter as well. Right. So just a reminder, uh, she publishes this under her pen name, Saya Hatha, and it's on Archive of Our Own. And the particular piece we read today, we're talking about today, is called Renaissance. I thought maybe we'd start by doing hot takes. Uh, right. Now on our, I mean, we've all watched it multiple, multiple times, but this is our a more recent watch of it. Yeah. So, Joe, do you want to start with your hot take? Sure. I mean, I don't really think too much has changed in my mind of the episode it was wildly disappointing the, you know, as we put it, Christina, the lazy writing surrounding Claudia's sexual assault. I still, you know, 100% feel that way. And, you know, it was an episode filled with shock. There was a lot of, you know, disturbing moments, including the, you know, domestic violence scene between Louis and Lestat. Overall, I mean, I love the show, so I still think it was a great episode. Could it have been done better surrounding um, Claudia's assault? Yes. Could they have put a warning ahead of it for people? Absolutely. If you recall at the time, I was kind of a wait and see guy on, you know, did they, I mean, yes, it was implied that there was sexual assault. Did it actually happen or did we just kind of read into it? Uh, Do they do something interesting with it? Well, they didn't, right? It's just the, the purpose was to say, hey, it's scary out there. You're too small to handle it. But they could have done that in a hundred different ways. And in fact, they could have even had Bruce attack her in a fight sort of sense, and then she escapes or whatever. But instead, they want to imply that, you know, he he overpowers her and sexually assaults her, which is, again, you can have sexual assault in shows, but you don't want it to be used as a trope. You don't want it to be used in a trite way where it's like, oh, look, let's uh, illustrate the vulnerability of women by sexually assaulting them. And that's really, I think, the biggest problem with this episode, which other than this is a very good episode. Yes, there is violence at the end, but they were I mean, that is canon in the books. Yes, but not to be clear in the books, not to that degree between Louis and Lestat. But right. that that detail is very important as we continue yes. our, our conversation. Absolutely. So it could have just been the Claudia go to college uh, episode, but it's much, much darker than that. But, uh, you know, without that problem, it's actually, you know, a typically strong, rich episode. Uh, the stuff in Dubai is, is very interesting. Yeah. Okay, so... I agree with you. The sexual assault was not handled well as a trope. And again, now here I'm getting, you and I are about to flip opinions because now having watched it again, knowing the ending that Rashid was Armand. Yeah. Knowing what Armand is capable of doing. Now I'm at a wait and see. Okay. They may be able to come back it still wouldn't be great right. because they and had they still to use, really should have had a yeah, trigger warning. And, yeah. But yes. So now I'm kind of at a wait and see. So anyway, that's all I'm going to say about that subject. Um, here's what I want to say for my hot take because of how I felt about it last year when we watched it, when it debuted and I was really wrapped up in my anger about those things. Yeah. I think that colored my lens 
through which I watched that episode around that time. Yeah. Having processed that, I was able to re-examine this episode through a different lens, and I think it's really a fine episode and potentially has some implications and maybe is providing really big clues as to what's coming you in, know what? in the next you know what? season. I got a problem with that. <laughs> what? Why? Now you come off looking all thoughtful <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and deep, and Joanne and I are taking the normal standard tack, which is, man, rape is bad. <laughs> no. And Christy's like, well, no, I let me give you that. a more subtle, richer <laughs> interpretation you dum dums. <laughs> Mark, that is not what I, I said. I am angry now. But if you're that insecure, I my am guy. that insecure. <laughs> I definitely am. No, no, no. Because so I, I tried to have that nuanced take in the first time we did this episode. How'd that go for me? No, we, you got mad you, at me. You, I, no, but all I'm saying, well, you came to the conclusion now that you actually were wrong then. Well, and I was we trying to make right. you happy. No. <laughs> no. I'm just a people pleaser <laughs> no. at heart. So in this episode, we want to discuss the themes of independence and freedom. Really, what we're talking about is the ability to make choices, not to have choices thrust upon you. Do you have the ability to live in a way you want? Do you have the ability to act in the way you want? Or are you constrained by someone else? Is that a natural instinct to want to be independent and free? And are, is there a price to pay? Joanne, tell me how you see these themes play out through this episode. One of the, the big ways that we see it is obviously with Claudia going off to college. That's a typical in, in a human's lifespan, right? That's kind of the first step of most of the time. Independence, freedom, you know, whether it be moving out on your own or going to college or whatever the case may be. And, that, and that's kind of the first time we see that theme intertwined into the episode, but it's also there kind of in the background because overall it's about Claudia and Louis gaining their freedom from Lestat. Cause like you said, if you look at it, freedom through a lens of being able to make your own choices, they're not allowed in any capacity to make their own choices. There's Lestat is always there breathing down their neck, in most scenarios, but especially in, in the topic of them leaving, that's just kind of frowned upon in his world. So those I think are the two prime examples. And I think there's also maybe a third one that we could kind of explore in terms of more independence, maybe kind of side of it where Claudia is venturing out on her own to feed and, you know, kind of hone her skills of, murdering and we come to find out she sucks no pun intended sucks at it well she's very good at the murdering part right, right. very good at the murdering yes she's not very good at the covering up part she doesn't really understand things like water tables <laughs> right and seasonal storms you know that's not really i mean to be fair she never took a climatology class no so. but but if it was modern day she would not be at it for very long because I, I have a feeling she would leave a lot of DNA and bodies everywhere that they could be found. So she's kind of a sloppy killer. Well, I mean, she's got, she's got boobs in her drawer. I know it's so weird. All that trophy hunting that she did, but yeah, I think that's a good way to kind of explore the independent side of the freedom independence theme. 
and what she chooses to do with that independence and how she kind of royally fucks it up. And here comes Lestat having, and Louis having to clean it up and almost reinforcing Lestat kind of the same way the whole sexual assault thing kind of does, reinforcing what Lestat says to her, like, you're not going to make it on your own without me. I really actually the one that you said, well, maybe we can get to it later. I mean, of uh, your points here where, where you said um, she's sort of exerting her freedom by hunting on her own. And, and that to me is a fascinating one. I really yeah. thought of that. And I thought of her diaries as well. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And Claudia is really the uh, she's really the catalyst to to all of this. Right. I mean, literally in the story and then, just you know, like kind of figuratively overall and all of the rest. Um. And what struck me is how super claustrophobic this is. It's like this battle between being closed in and trying to break away in all kinds of different ways. And so she's trying to break away, even with her diaries, have this private world of her own where she can individualize, be, be this independent thinker. And then that is interfered with with Louis and Lestat. They break that right. trust with her and they read her inner thoughts. So her inner thoughts aren't even for her. She's not even free to have those. And that's you know. both of them working kind yeah. of together at that point um, to squash her, her attempts at freedom. And then it just gets bigger and bigger. Keep, she's pushing harder and harder against that claustrophobic boundary of a house yeah. that they live in. One of the reasons that Things get claustrophobic is because they have to basically batten down the hatches and withdraw because of all the heat that Claudia has basically brought down on right. them by, you know, leaving bodies hither, thither, and yon and washing up uh, in the uh, port. Right. Now, one thing I would say, though, it's not that Lestat is overtly dictatorial all the time, although he often is. But really what he does is he's very kind of judgy. When they make independent choices, and of course he controls them through uh, having access to vampire information, mm-hmm. and he doesn't tell them things like, "Oh, by the way, I can fly." You know? <laughs> I didn't. Maybe I forgot to. to know. I forgot to mention that, but uh, whatever. <laughs> now you know. <laughs> but um, so he does it in this very manipulative way, very narcissistic way, but not in terms of just like you know full-on authority figure, you can't do that, you can't do that. He really just pressures them and judges them and tries to shape their actions that way. I think it's more overt. It's more than just a control of the information and things like that, Mark. I think that they know they can't leave. You know, he's directly taking away their freedom with that. It's it's bigger than just withholding info. You know, he wants Louis to eat a certain way. Louis doesn't do that. He can't force Louis to do that, but he can mock him at every turn. Right, but that, that's, explain, that's a minute you know. detail. I'm talking big picture. He's manipulative, and through his manipulations, whether they're big or small, that's controlling mm-hmm. because withholding, he's he's withholding or he's he's not correcting information. They, you know, he's not helping them. So he's actively, he is kind of controlling, but it's... I think it's in a in a more overt way, too, actually. Yeah. yeah, Claudia has so many different ways. And then, of course, her going out. And, boy, I'll tell you, I, it, the showrunners, the writers really, really brought this home hard, which is 
yes, you're going to keep trying. You're going to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, but there's going to be something that drives you back. And yeah. this was a big mallet that drove her, her back, you know, yeah. cause she did push further. She did try to push her own personal boundaries by going out on her own. Yeah. Um, what I found interesting is that even though that bad thing happened to her, it doesn't seem like she immediately went home, at least the way right. it looked. It doesn't look like she immediately went home, but it does look like by the time she got home, she felt good about what she had done. She thought she was going back out. Yeah, well, yeah, well, she did. She, she was going to grab Louie and go. She was going to grab Louie and go. But if you, you saw her in the scene where during the um, in the uh, cemetery, and she comes to this realization that they created her to be Louis's sister, which I don't know if I yeah. get, quite get that. But they, she also says, once I was my own woman, I, or some line like that, then I returned home and I started following them around. Yeah. And so even though that bad thing happened, she still sees herself having become her own woman. Right. Because she's not a victim. You know, she, she wasn't going to allow herself to be a victim. Right. And so then she goes back and, as you said, thinks, I'm getting out. I'm going to take him with me. You know, question is, is then who's really trying to fight for Louis's independence harder, Claudia or Louis? Claudia. Claudia. Louis's not fighting for anything hard. Um, so here's, an, here's a question I wanted to raise with you guys. So they made it a very particular choice for Claudia when she's going out in her doing her research, et cetera, that she's, she's targeting university libraries. And mm -hmm. part of that is because, you know, that's she can pass for that age or whatever. But, I mean, if you were looking for, you know, magical lore about vampires, there are other places you could look other than college, right? You could look at an actual giant government-run library. You could prowl around occult bookshops, whatever. And I wonder if they didn't use college intentionally because of course in a way she went away to college mm -hmm. right she she decided to take this journey and the thing about college is it's the first taste that most young people get of you know freedom and responsibility mm -hmm. but they also can go back home mm -hmm. it's not like when you move out move out and now you got to get a job and pay your bills and all that stuff um it's it's meant to be a journey, then you come home, then you go back out in the world, mm -hmm. right? So I wonder if they did that intentionally at all to, you know, kind of characterize this search as she always knew that she had this anchor back there, Louie, mm -hmm. right? So I'm going to go out, I'm going to learn what I can, and then I'm going to come back, mm -hmm. just like college, except with more biting. <laughs> right. But I think too, Mark, on top of that, I think maybe they did it to normalize her, to give her for, you know, kind of show her wanting a an actual human experience too. Yeah, absolutely. Like, okay, well, this is what kids do. They go to college and, and find themselves. Well, let's talk a little bit about Lestat because of course his goal is to keep this family unit. Well, really all he cares about is Louis, but keep this family unit together. But he's also allowing himself to explore other options, mm -hmm. right? He gives himself that freedom, quote, uh, to go out and bang other people, basically. Mm -hmm. and In particular, Antoinette. Yes. So there's that scene where Lestat is sort of complaining about how Louis doesn't appreciate him and doesn't, you know, spend time with him, is just all locked up and reading dumb books and stuff. And he looks out the window 
and there Antoinette is waiting for him. He's like, okay, got to go, puts his tie on, and heads out to cheat. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But Lestat feels stifled by Louis' lack of warmth and attention because you know Lestat needs that attention. All right, I just had a thought. Oh, no. You just had you just had Louis serving as an anchor for Claudia, but yeah. he's now also an anchor. And sure, the kind of anchor very wobbly. They're two different, yeah. two different oh, kinds. Yeah, for sure. In in the one, the anchor is a positive that he is there as that sim- symbolic for Claudia, yeah, and that she always knows she, that she can go back to him. Right. In the other one, he's being weighed down by the Louis anchor because yes. of Louis's depression and and mopiness and, 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 and all of that, and then also because. Lestat wants to go out and bang other people yeah. and have positive experiences. I, I like variety. <laughs> and I mean, he's just not getting the love and attention from Louis that he thinks he deserves. That he thinks he deserves. And that's the very important point. I'm not saying that Lestat is right. I'm saying in the perception that Lestat yes. might have is that he's being weighed down by Louis. Well, and you know look. what I want to say to Lestat? He's just not that into you, dude. <laughs> yeah. But the, the truth of it is Louis is into him, but he's also extremely mopey mm-hmm. and depressed and conflicted. Do you think, Mark, that anybody could love Lestat the way that Lestat believes he should be loved, that he's entitled to be loved. Yes. You you do? Yes, and there's exactly one person that can do that, and his name is Lestat is, de Liancourt. Is Lestat, that's right. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, like, Nikki or I'm like, ah, oh, okay. Yeah, no, nobody nobody can live up to those expectations that he's putting on on them. He wants a lot. He's a lot. He is a lot. Here's another layer. So we've talked about the claustrophobia of the Louis Claudia. Claudia phobia. Lestat triangle. It's made up a word. <laughs> okay. I like that. And, okay. But now let's talk about, is there, do you all think, is there claustrophobia Dubai triangle? Because oh. yeah. especially now in the rewatch, because now we know who Rashid is. And you and Rashid is figured very, very prominently in this episode. And in the beginning, as a snack. It, it starts yeah. with him out as a, as a as a snack. And this is a much debated scene between the people who believe that um, Devil's Minion place and might be obscured right, right. in his mem- memory, and those who don't think so. Which is what was going on with Daniel and Rashid in this. Yeah. In now, this do you scene. think this is the beginning of Daniel starting to think? This guy might be a vampire mm-hmm. because there's very he's very focused on Rashid's weight. His weight, yeah. Right, like I mean, Louis is straight up draining this guy, mm-hmm. and he gets up, no problem, dabs his neck. Whereas you know, uh, Stanislav, <laughs> he collapsed in the hallway, and he's like nine Rashid. Yeah, a, a beefy two forty is like you know wobbly and falling over in the in the hallway there. Right. So right. he's got he's got to at least start to suspect there. I think mm-hmm. I agree, but I guess my my bigger question though is what's the claustrophobia here? Well, I mean, basically, they, Louis is imprisoned in this tower, right? Of his own volition, possibly. Mm-hmm. We'll see, right? But they don't go anywhere. They don't get out and about. Nobody's. It doesn't appear. He doesn't appear to be you know roaming the streets of Dubai at mm-hmm. night. They Uber eats all their meals. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. They, you know, like, uh, can you call the farm up and see if they have a German available? I'm <laughs> craving German today. And it, everything takes place really in one or two rooms, right? Mm-hmm. However big that penthouse is, you know, it's always, they're always 
you know, together in this one room, not only does it feel claustrophobic, but then Armand Rashid start to detail Louis' despair, right? And how this is a suicide type mm-hmm. of thing mm-hmm. and how dangerous this is. And this is why he's trapped here, can't go anywhere, even though it probably won't save him. That's a great example of Rashid giving Louis freedom, freedom to make that mistake because he's not trying to prevent him from telling the story, knowing, like you said, they're going to be scaling the building to get to him, right? So that's kind of a an example of, of Rashid giving the freedom. Yeah, although he may have ulterior motives. Right. We don't know that, but in my mind, that's kind of what it's telling me right now with what we're just looking at from episodes one through five. Yeah, you can certainly argue that Louis is freeing himself by unburdening himself of this story, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, I have to tell this story. And he's going to be self-flagellating and navel-gazing the way Louis always is. But he feels like he has to get this out, right? He has to get this burden unloaded. I guess he's shifting it on to Daniel, and he's going to give it to Daniel to do with what he will. But certainly, you know, going through – it's very therapeutic possibly Mm -hmm. to go through these stories. One of the concepts of something wanting its independence or just it gains its independence sort of is is the story itself. And Daniel – you're talking about Louis telling that story. Louis needs to get – Louis needs to get it off his chest, maybe. Yes, once he gets it off his chest, you said, Daniel will take it and do what he will with it. And beyond that, Daniel will do what he will with it, but then the public will do. And I just always felt that was a bigger conversation, kind of, or a hint or a clue for us as viewers. You know, that's what you've got to understand here, because, of course, there was so much. Well, there could there was some angst around how they were going to adapt Anne Rice's work. Sure. And and um, and so, you know, I think I always felt that was kind of a message. But it's a cool idea if you think about it, how. Even Louis, what he wants to get off his chest now becomes something that is beyond his control. And and the story is free now, right? Mm -hmm. And it's in the public and people will make of it what they will. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've always made that argument when we've had discussions on this podcast and others, which is once you publish, I agree with Daniel 100%. Once you publish, it is no longer in your control, even though Anne Rice did try to exert some of that control after she published these works, right? She was very protective of her universe Mm -hmm. and was at least initially very much against allowing, for example, fan fiction. And that was not a freedom she wanted to afford to her readers. Later on, she did. Yeah, she kind of came Came around around. a little bit Mm -hmm. when she realized it doesn't really threaten (laughs) threaten your IP she didn't necessarily believe what Daniel said, no, at right. least you want not it, in the you, beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, she, she, I think, hoped that maybe her what she was trying to say was so, going to be so clear that no one would right. ch- question it or change it or, or whatever. But, yeah, she, it, I think she, she might have struggled um, slightly with the idea that she loses control of it after it's yeah. published. Well, and control is a big theme for Anne Rice, mm-hmm. right? And that definitely ties in with the independence and freedom discussion because that's the opposite, basically, Mm -hmm. right? So, Well, and Joanne brought it up, Lestat seeming to be in control. And trying to control, you know, other individuals, which, you know, we know how that usually goes. And we don't know in modern day, well, we do know that Daniel is in a sense being controlled. Sure. Because 
information is being withheld from him, he's getting, he's catching on to it. He's potentially being mind controlled. We, or, or realizing that he was. We don't know until season two. Hopefully that's resolved in season two. But yes, so there is, it's the sort of lies of omission controlling behavior. Like they're not telling him that Rashid is Armand. Right. And in fact, it's not even a mission. It's a commission because Armand knows he's not Armand. Yeah. He's pretending to be a whole different person. It's not that they're saying, well, this is Armand and not kind of saying whether or not he's a vampire. He, he's giving him a whole different name and it's. Right. And I think that's an interesting point where. Freedom can really only exist if it's informed by the truth, right? Because if you're being lied to, then your freedoms are restricted, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are certain choices that won't seem available to you because you don't even know they exist or mm -hmm. you don't understand them or whatever. So on the opposite end of, of freedom and control, I mean freedom and independence is this control over information, mm -hmm. Control over the truth. Manipulation. And that's a huge theme in this show because we yeah. have so many. From top to bottom. Yeah, we have unreliable narrators. We expose them as unreliable. Then we're asked to kind of go back in and believe them again. We're, we have multiple narrators now contributing to the story, although it's still pretty much focused through Louis with the exception of now we have Claudia's diaries. Mm -hmm. And in season two – I suspect we're going to be introduced to another unreliable narrator, Armand. Mm -hmm. And he then he's going to give his version of the truth. And it's really incumbent upon Daniel to try to pick through that and figure out where the true things are. And then he can make informed choices about his book, about his life, whatever it is. Because mm -hmm. you can't do that in the absence of the truth. So let's now talk about different little maybe symbolic things that we picked up on or uh that in the in the in the episode Joe and I cheated a little bit uh, on you Mark. What a surprise. We were chatting this morning uh during my morning walk about this subject and that is mirrors. Okay. Joe, so yeah. what did you what did you notice cuz you noticed the mirror thing the very first episode. That was something that was immediately on your radar. Yeah, because, you know, that that's one of the most, I think, commonly used forms of symbolism or foreshadowing or whatever you want to, you could use it for is mirrors. And it, it, it's meant to be a reflection of yourself, but not a literal, you know, not your literal, you know, reflection. And I think we see that when they're fighting, um, Louis and Lestat, where Claudia catches a glimpse of herself in the mirror and she's not necessarily looking at her appearance She's, and then we talked about it, this, but we had come to the conclusion of Christina, where she's kind of looking at herself going, how did I get here? Who am I? Like, like what is happening? And it's a very deep way to show a character having some self-reflection in that moment. And they definitely use it. And they use it. And then in the, in the one scene where she's looking at the mirror and it's cracked, it's, that's kind of showing to me anyway, I took that as the you know, internal struggle that she's having with who she is and the person that she's become her, her own reflection of herself. Or that she just feels herself splintering um, in, in that, which would be a more literal, I think, read of it. So, yeah, I think that it, it shows that she doesn't really, isn't really able to see who she really is, mm -hmm. right? She's, they're all struggling with issues of identity, except for Lestat, who just doesn't care. Like I'm Lestat. What else do I need to know? Mm -hmm. You know, but uh, certainly Louis is struggling with who am I? How do how am I going to be a vampire? Mm -hmm. You know, how does that work? And Claudia is having the same issues, 
and their view of reality is distorted by all this drama and fire and mm-hmm. you know violence inability to communicate so they're they're getting this broken view of reality Joanne, most compelling to me was that the the conclusion we came to that it was looking at yourself. If you're ever in like a really tense situation, you look in the mirror, you really just can't even recognize yourself Mm -hmm. or you're looking at yourself like, why am I here? And isn't that me? Like, how can this be me in this situation? That's the kind of uh, the second one when Lestat and Louis are fighting and she just looks into that mirror like this is not how I thought this was going to go, you know, and that could be a very true feeling that she was having is like, whoa, I didn't expect this. I thought maybe it would be bad. I didn't think, it, you know, that we're going to tear the house down bad, you know, um, and somebody's going to get dragged by their chin bad. Dropped from the sky bad. Dropped from the sky bad. I think that that last mirror particularly that she looks into is is more of a this like I just can't believe you know the first one may be like I don't know who I am or where I'm going then she goes and then she comes back and then the last one but yet here I am and that's really one of those things is this like no matter how far you go there you are you you know these issues buckaroo bonsai I have one more. This is actually going to be a combination of of this, not just staying within the confines of this episode, but understanding the whole scope so far of what we know happened in season one and the trailer for season two. And I want to know from you guys, how long game do you think these showrunners are? And, and like all the elements, like for instance, the costume design. So Lestat famously is wearing all black. When yeah. he he just shows up in that set that scene and he's like you know here she is and he yeah. stops the the record from playing, and he just floats in and he's all in black. Subsequent to this episode, I think a lot of people read that as like this is the stunt, the bad guy being right, dressed right. in black and he looks amazing by the way and he looks like so sexy, as if there's a like a nice Lestat in some of these <laughs> other episodes. Yeah, I know, but I mean, he wasn't. He was he was more colorful in dress yeah. in, in previous episodes. Okay, so so here he is in this black, and it's just this very literal, you know, like a black outfit. Okay, Do you so, think they're making a Johnny Cash point? There? <laughs> no, oh. yeah, but I mean, okay, so and then Louis, and then. This is a ring of fire. Of course, <laughs> like white clothing is often portrayed as angelic. Yeah. Okay. So Assad is wearing the white shirt in yeah. the in the in the um trailer and very pointedly looks like wearing yeah, this like white shirt. Black, black, everybody's in black. Everybody's the in black. The whole thing is black. And everybody got the Assad. note. It's golf oh. day. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, there's uh, Armand there. Yeah. 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 How if I ask myself. How, you know, then maybe that's going to be it, right? That's, well, Lestat's going to be painted as the bad guy and Armand is yeah. the good guy. But I don't think that's what if what they're doing. It's just Armand's implanted memory yeah. that has Lestat in black and he's actually playing some crazy long game. That would be. And so are the costume, costume designers. Right. So I would say. I think it's unlikely that it's something as simple as when they're wearing white, they're good. Because that's too I, right. simple it's for this show. It's too simple, right? Rollin Jones is not going to be like, oh, yeah, what a great idea. Oh, so <laughs> right? good guys wear white, bad guys wear that's, black. Got it. Yeah, so that's what I mean. Do they then say, well, we're not going to do it the easy way. So oh, the, well. This is going to be a more complex way. I would not be surprised. They don't do anything by accident. In this show. So there is, no, they don't do easy. Yeah, I don't think they're doing it on the nose like that. So, Except when it comes to sexual assault. 
So who knows? But <laughs> can we give our can we give our listeners some homework and say think about the costume choices and when they change and what it means? Because we don't think it means they're just the good guy, right? That's trite. Right. It would be too obvious. But it could be, you know, is this person now the truth teller or the mm-hmm. opposite of a truth teller? Right. Or- what about when we go back to our episode with Micah who gave a really in-depth oh, yeah. analysis of they were amazing the clothing and yeah they did a great job kind of breaking that down for us so i think there is something to it and certainly leaving season one he's portrayed as a bad guy it, it, it you can't you can't not think that if if season one and this is the the thing if season one is accurate is the truth right then putting him in black and making him do bad things it supports your theory he is the ba- i mean he he's actually the bad guy but we don't know that what we've learned in season one is true there have been hints or suggestions that it is possible that what is being remembered by louis as the truth is something that armand has manipulated the thing happened potentially there's a point where armand throws lestat off of a tower and injures him so that's canonically but that could ha- be it, but it, it it could not be it. Right. Yeah, at the end of the day, we just need season two to clear up some of this shit. Yeah. No, yeah. We, we definitely do. Just one last thing. And I, we're talking about, you know, Claudia's search for independence and freedom. Mm-hmm. Who do you think is most responsible for pushing her? Who are you going to lay that? At the feet of herself. She's a strong, you know, she's a woman. She, you know, becoming a young woman, a young woman becoming a woman. And she made that decision. Why does somebody have to have forced that upon her, Mark? Why can't she make the decision to want to go to school and be independent? Why, who did you think? You want me to say, was there one one of those two that I would say it's more Louis' fault or Lestat's fault? No, I think that it, I think it's equally, it's, it's the, the fact that she is what she is and she can't Whose feel fault is that. Well, it's Louis and Lestat's fault Yeah. in this, both of them, Louis more maybe because Louis, be, yeah. Louis was the one that brought her. In fact, she does get very angry at him about that in this episode. Doesn't she? She's absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But, but to say that Louis or Lestat forced her to make that decision to go, No, off. they're not forcing her, but they're certainly driving her. But that, then that's like saying your parents drove you because they created you. If you're looking at it from a, well, they created her. So ultimately they're responsible for her because they made her into a vampire wanting freedom. Why can't she just want it to want it? Well, she can. And, but the problem is, is that she's now an immortal bloodsucker, right? And she's going to be stuck at this point in her life forever. Right. And Lou even mentions that, right? She's bound up in the throes of puberty Forever. Forever. And they say, and I mean, take pains to say you can't go out there. You're built like a bird. You yeah. know, the, the vampires yeah. that are out You're, there are yeah. bad vampires. I mean, they're, they're bad. Big they bads, they yeah. will. And then they show her. <laughs> yeah. And the, there you go. Instead of having her just go through the four years and get her paper and yeah. you know, go back to New Orleans. <laughs> Could you argue that complete freedom for these characters is a bad thing. It doesn't exist. I don't think it's possible. Bruce is pretty free. They're always, they're always have constraints on them. They're not free to do anything. 
Well, you have some. I mean, you have to. Yeah, you can't go out in the sun. Well, that's it. Okay, yeah. They're they are they are vampires, and you know how how are they trying to get free of that, or are they, or can they? Do they want to be having that? Well, there is one way they could get free of it: kill themselves. Short of death, there is no. They don't have freedom to to move about like you and I would, or freedom to make a choice to be in a relationship with somebody. Look at what happened when Claudia tried to exert her independence and be with Charlie. She ate him. I would argue that a lack of society, family, culture, whatever, and a lack of having to think about someone other than yourself, especially with vampires, tends to, I think, push them towards that more extreme end of the scale because now all you care about is yourself, right? Mm-hmm. When am I going to eat? How mm-hmm. how interestingly am I going to kill this guy? Whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's what Bruce is, right? Mm-hmm. He's just riding around the country. He has no friends, no family, mm-hmm. fucking shit up, right? And mm-hmm. his freedom is the freedom to be an evil monster. I don't know and- if Bruce is as free as you're painting him out to be. I think that he was an... He he was an agent of somebody. Well, I mean that's possible. I haven't seen any evidence for that yet. But no, it's I mean, just it's my theory. We'll find that out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fuck your theory. Fuck <laughs> oh, you and your finger. You yeah. know, I don't know. That's you, gross. You yeah. Was, you, so, but on the other hand, are you okay? So yes, he's free to go. He's free to go back and do whatever he wants to do. But freedom he's, for depravity. But he also, but also, let's say this. Humans are social creatures. Yes. And it seems that in some ways vampires at less times, so. less so, but still try to be yeah. social creatures but, within their species. Yeah. So I would argue that For the hunt. having having responsibility and relationships with other individuals, uh-huh. be they vampire or human, is a check on our behavior, right? You're less likely to do X if you know it's going to negatively impact your relationship or that person directly, right? Because if it's just you, there's no such thing as ethics, yeah, right? Yeah, but I there's, mean, I don't know. You just do what you do. You're kind of more talking about like societal norms and expectancies yeah, of like humans. You, like, like, so at least when they're together in the house, they have to have a certain level. I mean, of course, Claudia violates that, but they have to have a certain level of interpersonal behavior, but also caution when it comes to eating people, mm-hmm. right? Or otherwise you're going to get everybody caught. And um, I don't think you can argue that when they're together, their behavior doesn't influence each other. Certainly that no, does it that. does. Sure. And it's, and relationships are a restraint on your freedom. So everyone, that was a really fun conversation. So Joe, do you want to take us out? All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into episode five, a vile hunger for your hammering hearts. If you enjoyed us, please make sure you share us with your friends. If you would like to follow us on Twitter and provide some feedback, we would appreciate it. You can find us at vampire underscore insider. You can follow Mark at Mark Eats Peach. And you can follow Christina at Christina Gen X. Thank you guys and have a great night. Good night, Mark. Good night, Christina. Peace out, Cub Scouts. There is a pretty horrifying scene where there's a threesome 
with Lestat, with, Armand. Armand yeah. the, that wasn't in chapter one. No. All right, so I saw it referred to. Then. Yeah, so there's there's a scene where, and I'm not going to keep this in the podcast, but I'll tell you, Armand bites Lestat's dick off. No. Yes. Wow. But then it gets it, it That's gets. That's not re- sexy. It's in the mouth. <laughs> it is. It gets. <laughs> it gets reattached. But well, I, it grows back. I'm sure. Well, it just gets reattached. That Louis puts it like makes oh, list, smear makes, some va- vampire blood around it mm-hmm, and makes Armand it. open his mouth and spit it out. God, and then, God fuck. <laughs> Does that hurt Mark? They know that it hurts Mark. Arma- Armand Bobbitt. <laughs> is Mark squirming in his chair right yeah, now? Yeah, that's not it. Look, how would you like if there was a story about biting someone's vagina off? <laughs> we have to deal with the left tit in the draw, so... Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. pretty horrific. That's hilarious.